Welcome to episode 176 of Coffee Pods and Wads. As always, this episode is sponsored by Rain Body Feel, the ultimate fitness focus drink to support your performance. And the Hybrid Academy are also supporters of the show. They're an Irish clothing brand aimed at helping you to look and feel your best while performing. You can use Pod10 for a discount on the hybridacademy.store. This show is also sponsored by Bird Box Coaching Development. Uh, this is an online and in-person seminar course, which is CrossFit Preferred, and is aimed at improving coaches by examining the psychological side of coaching and making you question the how and why of the way that you coach and what you do and what you could do better. You can use the code PODS for a discount on birdboxcoachingdevelopment.com. Now, uh, while you're listening to this, if you have time, just open the app that you're listening on and rate and review the show. Ratings are now available on Spotify as well as on iTunes and heaps of the other apps. Um, the more ratings and reviews that a show has, the more likely it will show up um, when people open the app like if they're not already following it. So um, that really matters. Um, also, if you'd like to support the show for less than the price of a coffee a month, you can go to patreon.com forward slash coffee and wads. It would mean the world to have your support for however much and however long you can give it. Uh, today's episode is the second in the pyramid series last week we focused on nutrition with mike malloy from m2 performance nutrition and we got a great response to that conversation so this week we're tackling conditioning with rob and lizzie carson um they are two of the best conditioning and specifically rowing coaches out there uh, lizzie is also a master's athlete who was in madison last year and set a world record in rowing last week that she talks about on the show um, rob is part of the coaching setup at underdogs with justin kotler as well as working with countless other athletes in countless sports uh, we chat about conditioning uh, its place on the pyramid common misuses and mistakes on machines best practice with machinery and the best way to improve your fitness enjoy listen share and tag thanks for doing this uh first of all i really appreciate taking the time out Thanks um for yeah two two for the price of one this was yeah, <laughs> this is great um so we're going to talk about conditioning and i guess uh it's importance and stuff and we, we'll get to that later on but i just want to get to know you a, a little bit first um so obviously the name of the show is coffee pods and what so i suppose i'd be remiss if i didn't ask you first are you coffee drinkers or uh is that Oh, I see eyes lighting up there. Well, I've got a really interesting story to tell you, actually. Okay, go for so, it. I love coffee. I drink multiple cups a day. Rob has never, ever had a cup of coffee ever in his whole entire life. Why? Like... He might be a serial killer. We're not sure. I'm not dead yet, so... That's so you, you never, you've never even tried it? Never even tried it. That's a, surely that's unusual when she drinks multiple cups of coffee a day and you, that you've never just like had a sip or it like yeah, do it, you it smells good that's it <laughs> it's that's true, even I... weirder then if you think it smells good but still won't drink it that's weird <laughs> has it become a thing now that it's like i've gone this long without drinking it so now i'm the guy who doesn't drink coffee so now i can't have it exactly that's exactly it Okay. You know what it was? So I got a little backstory about me. I was actually a New York City police officer. Oh, there okay. Was, there was always that big stigma of, you know, drinking coffee, eating donuts. So I refused to do either of them. <laughs> okay. I don't, I, don't think the co- I don't think the stigma was attached to the coffee. I think it was more the donuts that were the more issue. The donuts, yes. But <laughs> I always felt like they went hand in hand. So Have you ever that. eaten a donut? I, after, so after I got off the police force, then I had a donut, but while I, I was on, I refused to eat them. Um, are you from Boston? I'm New York. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm I'm shit with accents, so like that to me, you sound like Mark Wahlberg. So that's that's what I was going for there. <laughs> yeah, but that's probably that's yeah. I, we we could probably easily go on the reverse of that of you telling me who I sound like, and I won't agree either. Like so, I won't agree. You actually have an accent that my wife could uh, pick up, though. So that's a good thing. Yeah, a lot of accents. I have difficulty like understanding what people say, but Irish, I understand. Oh, okay. You're you're one of a, a select few then. Um, so, okay, sorry, I wasn't expecting that. So, uh, when were you? Did you do? Uh, were you in the police like straight out of school, or when when did you join? Yeah, so you have to be 21 to be a New York City police officer here. So, um, I did a few years at a community college, and okay. uh, when I was 21, I went right into the police academy. Is that like, did you go to the community college thinking I'm just biding my time here until I hit 21 or did something change or? Um, I had an idea of maybe trying to play hockey at like a division one school. Um, the community college that I was playing at had a team my first year, my second year, the team folded. And then after that, I was like, you know, I'm not going to pay money to go to a division three school. Nobody's going to see me right now, you know, cause there's no team. So then I started a transition that, you know, I'll get the credits that I need and then I'll go into the police academy right after this. And is, is uh, policing in your family, like we had your uncles or aunts or anyone else? My dad was a correction officer, so I had uh, that. That's like, is that like a prison officer or is that yes. different? Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, and then uh, my older brother was going into like federal type policing, so... Okay, and is he still he's doing that? He's a cop too. Yeah, now my younger brother is actually a police. Okay, officer, so, so basically everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and um, shit. Okay, what uh, is there? Is your dad? Are you the? See, there's one before you and one after you, kids wise. Yeah, so I, there's two before me: a sister, then a brother, then myself, and then a younger brother. And um, was your dad? Uh, the corrections officer they say like throughout your whole childhood or did he retire at some point in the middle or yeah no he actually just retired what was it about five or six years ago now okay yeah what, what was that like when your dad was going off to work and you knew he was going to a prison were you like terrified or did you ever like think about it no i thought it was cool <laughs> god i would shit my pants every day if my dad was going to work and that was his job <laughs> Well, my mom and dad, you know, they broke up when we were younger, but, you know, I always thought it was kind of cool. Like, oh yeah, my dad's, you know, correction officer. He would tell us stories and stuff like that. That okay. was cool. Um, and how long were you a cop for then? So I did just about almost 10 years. I ended up getting injured on the job in my fourth year. Um, what kind of injury? So I, I injured both of my hips pretty bad where I needed them both uh, totally um, reconstructed. So it's, it's actually how I started to get into indoor rowing was after that injury. And was it like a car crash or something? No, no. Me and a, my partner were trying to make an arrest and I, I kind of ended up like in a split position holding on to some guy that was trying to get away. And uh, my partner jumped over my back, compressed me down. Um, Thanks, partner. Yeah, dislocated both hips, Jesus. tore the labrum on both sides. So, yeah, it was a pretty, pretty bad injury. 
My God, imagine arriving on that scene. <laughs> well, you know, the adrenaline, you know, got me through it. And then uh, once that wore off, then the pain set in. I couldn't get out of the, the car. Couldn't even swing my legs over. And is that why... So if you have an injury like that, do you have to stop being a cop? Or, was, or were you just like, oh, no, I, it's going to be too hard just to go back and finish kind of thing? Well, I had, a, you know, my initial surgery, the first one I had on my left hip... Um, the rehab was actually going well, and I thought I'd go back full duty. I was 25, 26 at the time, so I didn't think that you know any injury would ever hold me back. And uh, after about uh, two months, they had to go back into the same hip because the pain was even worse. And that's when they did like the reconstruction of the joint. They shaved down the ball of the hip, and uh, after that. My doctor was kind of like telling me they're never going to put you back on full duty. So you could do desk work for a little while, but that they don't want you unless you could be full duty. Okay. They want to hire somebody new. So, um, you know, I got hurt in my fourth year. I did about, you know, another five years on the desk and, you know, had a few surgeries during that time. And eventually they were like, all right, pack your bags. See you later. Type of thing, but uh, you know, what, it, what was it? What was it like when you're doing desk duty? Then were you like happy to be working, or were, like was it depressing going to work knowing that you were just not doing what you wanted to do? You know, it was a little of both. Um, I didn't become a cop to do desk work. Yeah, um, yeah. But I also wasn't like one of those super active cops where you know, Slide, sliding across car bonnets and. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't want that either. So, you know, yeah. some days it was good, some days it was bad, but, you know, I was grateful that I had a job and that, you know, they were, you know, taking care of me, paying for my surgeries and that type of stuff. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. I'm assuming New York must be one of the worst or well, best or worst places to be a cop, depending on why you want to be a cop. I'm assuming it's pretty tough going, is it? Yeah, yeah. I was in, uh, you know, I worked in the housing projects also. So um, a lot of gang activity, a lot of crime. So it was interesting. I'll tell you what, that is the most fucking interesting answer I've had to do you like coffee on this show? (laughs) So congrats on that. I definitely wasn't wasn't expecting that. That's really cool. Um, So, okay, we'll come back to the rowing um, after a while. So what kind of coffee do you like, um, Lizzie, then? Well, I'll drink any coffee. Well, I was in the army, and I no go on. <laughs> I just, I just like love coffee. It's, I will wake up for it. I just, I need that first thing in the morning. Right now, I drink Life Boost coffee because it's like a low acid coffee, and okay. it's because um, when you drink as much as I do, if you have too much, it's like burns a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, cutting back, but. That doesn't work. So I just changed the coffee. And do you drink it as a, like a energy source or like as a placebo energy thing? Like, is it like, do you drink it because you need it? Or do you think like, I just enjoy it and I like pretend it gives you a boost kind of thing? No, it definitely gives me a boost. Lizzie Lizzie wakes up every day at 3.45 a.m. So. Yeah. So I have one cup at 3.45. Then I have another cup at 8.00. And sometimes another cup at like nine. Sorry, the only way waking up at three forty-five is normal is if you go back to bed until your second cup at eight. Why are you getting up at three forty-five? 
Because I open the gym and teach 5, 6, 7 a.m. every day. By choice, you do it every day. I mean, it's my gym. She's the owner. So, so I have to open it and teach the people. I'm pretty sure you can hire someone and say, hey, new guy, you have to do the 5 a.m. for the next one. I know my people will like they won't have it. We've had other people fill in for me and like the people are up in arms. They want me there. Oh, they're used. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it tends to be that those morning classes have a a specific crew that, yeah, we the same in, in our gym. You can't get booked. You can't book in to. Like you, you can only book. So say, what day is today? Uh, yeah. Tuesday. Tuesday. I can only book as far as next Monday now on, on like on the app. Um, and at like midnight tonight, I'll be able to book Tuesday. But if I go on, on at one minute past 12, the morning class are gone and it's just, you're already on a waiting list. Yeah. 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 The morning is, is good. And then like I say, the knife is sharp in the morning for that 5am crew. They're like the best people. 6 a.m. is still pretty good. You have your handful of good people, but then the knife starts to get a little dull. And then like 7 a.m., you know, you got still one or two good, and then the knife is pretty dull. And then by 8 a.m., I got to get out of there because the, it's a butter knife now. You know, yeah. like the people are like, wait, what? And I'm like, oh, I just said it. So you're, you're, I assume you're only going to tell people in the 5 and 6 a.m. class that this podcast coming out then because obviously yeah, eight yeah. o'clock <laughs> <laughs> can't tell anybody else yeah i mean if the eight o'clock are as blunt as you're saying they are they probably won't remember it's on anyway so no they know they know how i feel i'm very open to the members yeah. how i feel about my people at five six and seven yeah um, it's a well-oiled machine at that time and they are they are there and they're ready to work it's a different caliber of person that goes at that time yeah, I suppose if you're getting up at that time, it's either because you want to be up or because you piss the bed again, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like, okay, you're obviously, but you both do a lot of rowing and you both do a lot of, like, kind of mono-structural, like, I'd call it boring, uh, boring fitness. You know, it's just, like, long, like... You're probably not that good. You probably come to, like, 8 or 9 a.m. class then. <laughs> oh, p.m. <laughs> um no i actually i get up i get up in the morning uh i get up before my kid gets up to train uh most mornings but you know like when you're sitting on a rower it's gonna be like if you're gonna be there for up above half an hour and you're just doing one thing for above half an hour you know you need to be like mentally stimulated in other ways i guess do you listen to um podcasts or music or anything like that when you're training or do you just are you just listening to the pain in your esophagus music's important to me lizzie could be total silence she doesn't need anything. Yeah. Um, I'm just obsessed with the numbers. So if yeah. I need if I need the screen to say a certain number, that's all I could look at. It's that's it. But it also like for her it's very good that she could do that because when we do, you know, the the open, we're not a CrossFit affiliate, so we have to, you know, record everything. And if you have music playing, like sometimes oh, you, yeah. you know, so she'll do those workouts no music at all so like training during the year without the music really you know helps her get ready for that so she's not like so used to needing like some upbeat music or yeah. she loves country music but um yeah so she, it's good that she could uh she could do that me on the other hand like if i'm doing an hour row i have like a playlist that 
I have one on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I can't. Although there's nothing worse. It's like it's kind of it's not too bad when you're on a bike, but if you're on a rower or a skier and you need to do something, like if a shit song comes on and you're like, oh, if I let go of the handle to, <laughs> like on the skier, you basically can't. It's just just going to snap up. But on the rower, I've often been in that position where you're like, I'll row one handed and reach for it and try, and everything just falls apart. Yeah, I've um, done more, but not when Lizzie's in the room. She would never, never allow that. I'd rather yeah. not have music than be distracted by messing up. Yeah, that's fair. And then isn't apparently like, well, I don't know if it matters with rowing as much, but I know at running, it, certain types of music, people naturally slow down or speed up. Yeah. I remember seeing one recently and it was a really random song that people slowed, like they tested like hundreds of people and this one yeah. specific song made everyone slow down. And it what I, Oh God, I wish I could remember what song it was, but I remember thinking like, that's not even a soul song. Why are people slowing down for that one? It didn't make any sense. I think um, with the rower, though, the thing that saves you is the monitor, you know, yeah. so you're staring at and you see your pace with, with running, you know, that could happen. Cause you know, not everybody really knows what a six minute pace feels like versus seven minutes, you know, we once locked one of our friends in our home gym <laughs> and then we, we changed the music to, um, it was like some kid's like, song. Get the beat, get the beat, and get my beat. Yeah. And we just blasted it and kept it on repeat and he couldn't get off. He got <laughs> off once, but then he realized like that he lost a lot of time. And then we put it back on every time he changed it, we put it back on and had him locked in the room. Have you, uh, have you got kids now? What's that? Have you got kids? Yes. I yeah. have, um, an 18 year old and a 13 year old. The 18 year old is rowing for the University of Tennessee. She's on their D1 team. Oh, wow, that's cool. Yeah. And the yeah. Because as you were describing that, I was like, that sounds like every day in my house, except I'm putting on the songs <laughs> for my child. <laughs> it's like, and it's blaring. And if, and if I turn them off, instead of losing pace in the roar, she just starts crying and I have to go and fix it. <laughs> So, oh, yeah. that wouldn't have worked on you. You would have loved it. <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually, to be honest, I got like I got my Spotify. You know your Spotify Wrapped thing at the end of the year. Yeah, and it was something we watched like Moana for the first time in like June, like end of June, start of July. Um, and she's like, she just turned two, but she was obsessed with it. So, yeah. uh, oh God, I can't remember how many times, but it's something like uh, three hundred and something times Maui the Maui song on it, You're Welcome, have been listened to in from, and it was like, your most listened to song of the year was like, uh, Dwayne Johnson, You're Welcome. And I was like, oh, wow. And it was like 300 and something times. And I was like, didn't we only watch that in like June? So that's like in like six months, in half a year, it was like, yeah. So, but it's funny because you kind of, well, maybe this isn't the case for everyone, but I have not got sick of one song that she listens to repetitively. That's good. Um, that might just be a parent's love though. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to training and stuff, then, so you like, do you joint own concept fitness or Lizzie, is that just yours or how, like, how is that working? So yeah, technically the, I own concept fitness. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then I program for, you know, and I cover some classes here and there, but, uh, yeah. It's Lizzie's full-time thing. Um, and how did you guys meet? Instagram. <laughs> I did a creepy DM message and uh, here we are. 
I can really help you with your rowing technique. (laughs) (laughs) No, he said, I think you're awesome. (laughs) And I can help you with rowing if you want. (laughs) I'm always like, welcome to anybody that wants to help me do anything. I felt like I was already a pretty good rower, but I was like, I could always be better, you know? So she's like, oh, I'm doing an hour row in like two days. And then I came to the gym and then we've been together ever since. Um, when was that? How long ago was that? That was 2015. 15, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay, right. Um, so then, right, we'll go, we'll, we'll go back a little bit to, you know, post uh, or during your recovery from uh, your operation and stuff. And you, you, like, had you rode prior to that? Like, were you sporty growing up? Or was, was like the roar given to you as you should do this to keep active during your recovery? It'll help. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I grew up playing competitive ice hockey, and then I always, you know, ran and swam. Okay. Um, I grew up on the beach, so surfing was always big. But I always loved swimming for a workout. I was never big into like lifting weights, so I always, you know, gravitated towards running, swimming. I didn't even really know about rowing, and then um, after the injury, I had a buddy who owned a CrossFit gym, and he kept saying you have to come in you have to come in and i thought it was the craziest thing because i'm like how am i going to do crossfit you know i can't run anymore i can't jump like i you know you see the videos of crossfit and they're jumping on boxes and i was like there's no way and he you know finally talked me into it he was like look we have rowing machines bikes there's some there's always something you could do and uh I went in and fell in love with the rower right away. There was a rowing coach there at the time. And he was like, you know, if you actually focus on this, like it could be something that you're really good at. And, uh, you know, he put me through a training program. It was like six, six to eight weeks. I can't remember exactly. But after that six to eight weeks, I tested my 2K again. I was just above seven minutes. And I was like, oh, man, because, you know, in the beginning, that's like the main goal. Try to get under seven. And then uh, he was like, there's a race up in Boston. It's called Crash Bees. At the time, it was the World Championships. So every year they would meet there for the Indoor World Championships. And he was like, I think you should sign up. We'll train you leading up until then. And then we'll see how you do. So I did another block of training with him, went up there. And I think I knocked 21 seconds off. So I had a 640 there. Um, you know, I'm a heavyweight male, so it wasn't anywhere near, you know, that top five, top 10, but it was a huge PR for me. And after that, I fell in love with it even more and decided like, oh, I think I could start to coach people in this because, you know, I've always loved coaching. I always, you know, anytime somebody's teaching me something, like I'm always taking it in, asking them why they're doing that. And, you know, his name is Chris Marr. He taught me a ton and, you know, I super thankful to him. Sorry. Just one thing stood out there. You're the indoor rowing. Is it done by weight and height? The like, is there different divisions or is it just like male, female? There's two weight classes. So it's heavyweight and lightweight. So for males, the, uh, the cutoff for lightweight is 165 pounds. So anything above that, which, you know, kind of puts me in that no man's land because I'm around 185 to 195. 
Um, and these guys you're going against. I'm 6'3", so like my height, I'm right there with them. A lot of them are, you know, around 6'3 to 6'5", but they all weigh like 225. Like, okay. so they have so much, you know, mass behind each stroke. And for yeah. females, the lightweight um, cutoff is 135.5. Yeah. And then anything above that is heavyweight. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Do you think that there should be something like that in CrossFit? No. Because I had thought so, but you were always against that. I am dead, dead against <laughs> it. Because the movements itself are the equalizer in CrossFit. Where you'll have gymnastic movements that are going to be easier for a smaller person to do. That's mixed with maybe rowing or heavy yeah. weightlifting, which is going to lend more towards a larger athlete. So yeah. your, your equalizer there is the challenge itself what the workout is yeah i'd agree with that i was i was just curious where rowing is really for bigger athletes even on my daughter's team said uh she said they'll cut anyone that's under five nine i said well geez what height is your daughter she's five nine she's (laughs) right on the cusp that's yeah yeah. okay jesus pretty cutthroat yeah, I know. But and, um, okay, so you started coaching. Did you did did you learn how to coach from Chris then, or did, like how did you like how did you go about becoming a coach yourself? Yeah, I, I was coaching um, ice hockey at the time, so like I've always had like a, a way of like you know being able to coach people. I learned more like programming from Chris. Um, and then coaching, like, it was kind of like, you know, testing it out. So, like... And you did your level one. Yeah, I did with, my level um, one. And then we did the rowing seminar yep. with CrossFit as well. Yeah, so I got certified and stuff. But then it was like, you know, taking stuff from coaches that I had, you know, created relationships with. And then just starting to do it. So, like, Lizzie was one of my first, you know, test subjects there where I was like all right, this is what I did to get better at rowing. Now, you know, I'm in a CrossFit gym. They're not that great at rowing. You know, some of them think they are, but like there's always something that we can work on with them. And I was like, you know what? I think in that field, you know, I could really get into it right away because nobody's really coaching anybody in this stuff. Hmm. So um, when I met Lizzie, I started coaching her. I started coaching her teammates and I noticed they were all getting better and not just better in rowing. They were getting better across the board, you know, all their CrossFit, you know, their lifts, their gymnastics, everything was getting better. And I really felt like the endurance portion of that was vital to them getting better at everything else. And is there a difference between coaching, um, CrossFit athletes versus, say people who are vying for indoor rowing championships or stuff like that, like is, is, are the fundamentals the same or because say someone like Lizzie is like, well, I also need to do a session of weightlifting and I also need to do whatever. Well, you you know, the volume is going to be different for somebody that's just rowing. Um, but they need to focus on strength as well. But I also, you know, I also think like a Metcon, um, CrossFit lot is, you know, it could really help too, because it kind of puts you in that 
position where like the 2K is that main race in rowing. And it's a very, I'm sure you've done them before, right? I hope so. Uh, no, I've tested my 1K. Oh, no, some. I've tested my 500 meters. I don't think I've ever yeah, tested anything more than 500. <laughs> but that, that 2K is, you know, that's the, that's the standard test. You know, the Olympians, that's what they're testing. Um, when you go to the world championships, that's what the race is. That's how the kids get into college. So it's a very important race and it's, you know, it could be anywhere from, you know, I think the best male, um, 2k is like a 536. The best female one is like a 621. So, you know, it's, it's a decent amount of time, but you're, you're right on the cusp of that red line that whole time. So CrossFit wads are, you know, could be very similar. Yeah. I'm just remembering when I tested my 500 and how I felt during and after, and then imagine doing that four times instead of just once. It's just not something that appeals to me at the minute. Um, how do you how how do you keep uh, say an indoor rower who's like if you're programming rowing for them and like you know basically only rowing for them? How do yeah. you keep it interesting and engaging? Like, are you relying on their determination to do well, to keep them motivated, to keep them like passionate about it? Or are you like, you know, like switching things up and, you know, I'm thinking of like, say you're a traditional CrossFit coach would be like, okay, we're going to like max out in the weekend and it's fun and whatever else. And then it's like, oh, and you know, like there'll be a structure to the week to keep things fresh and keep things interesting. Like, is it, are you... Is it difficult to do that when it's a like a, a singular sport, I guess? I don't think so, because there is a lot, you know, that goes into a you know, rowing program. So one is, you know, we could have the power of the group. So everybody's posting their results, keeps everybody accountable that they're going to post it into the, you know, private Facebook group. And then people are going to comment like, so let's say I gave you four by 500 meters with one minute rest in between. And you did really good on the first two, the third one, you kind of took a nap. And then the fourth one, you got it back down. Everyone's going to call you out in the group and they're going to say, you know, that third one was clearly mental because you got that pace back down in the fourth one. So it's not like you were done. You just mentally, you weren't into it. So Mm. like for me, for instance, when I'm in, you know, posting my sessions, I'll be towards the end of the session and I'll be like, oh man, this is terrible, but I'm going to post this in my group later. So I'm going to push a little harder here to make sure it looks right. And then mm-hmm. also we, we don't just do like, I don't just say, Hey, you're going to do six by 500 this week. And then, you know, it's a free for all, like I'll write a specific stroke rate that I want you to hit. Um, so that's the workouts stuff. are so different too, from day yes. to day where we'll be doing short sprints, middle distance, long distance, stroke rate work where we have to hit 22 strokes per minute for X amount of period. And then you have to hit 24 strokes per minute. You have to hit 26, then you do 36. So the, the challenge there, there's a ton of challenge and diversity in each workout, which keeps it fresh. Lower stroke rate stuff is working more power. So you're building strength. That would be like your heavy lifting day 
Yeah. They're like shorter interval ones or like we, you know, it's like how how low can I get this split to go? I wonder what so and so is doing. Yeah. Then you're rushing to the leaderboard to see how you held up against someone that you have your eye on. So it's there's a lot of crossover between the rowing world and, you know, any other sport. Yeah. Um so this year then, so you, like, uh, I guess I became aware of you, um, through Justin at underdogs. Um, so you, you kind of came on as the, like, as their conditioning coach, is that like, would you title yourself as that? Yep. Yeah. I, you know, we had a little bit of a, a longer relationship with Justin as well. He's from New York. Well, he has a gym in New York, doesn't he? Yes. Yeah. 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 Dynamics in Queens. And in 2016, we worked with their games team to get them ready for the games. Justin reached out and said they could use a little help with their conditioning because they have, you know, super heavy lifters and gymnastics specialists. But what they're kind of all lacking in is endurance. Yeah. So he called us in and we went there every Saturday for a couple of a couple uh, months. Yeah, yeah. Three months or something. Yeah and then gave them programming as well to work on throughout the week and had them starting to pay attention to the numbers on the monitor and the ski and the bike. And then they ended up like improving leaps and bounds on everything else that they did. So it wasn't that we just improved their ability to row well and ski well, it crossed over into the metabolic conditioning that they needed for the games. And the beginning of that 2016 season, we started working with Carrie as well. So um, we were working with her before, you know, we went to Dynamics and started working with that team. Um, how did joining Underdogs come up now? Like, have you been working with Carrie since 2016, like yeah, with so Justin? I had been Carrie's coach um, since 2016. So before Justin was, you know, with her full time. Um, and in the beginning I was just her, you know, rowing coach and then, mm. you know, gradually started to, you know, shift into being her full endurance coach, not just her rowing coach. Um, and then after, I want to say, what was it? <laughs> yeah, see the little guy? Yeah. yeah, I can see the dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. He's so like, after... you said you'd be five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> So I started working with her in, in 2016 and then um, uh, also worked with Bethany briefly at one point. Um, and then who else did we work with? Camille. Camille LeBlanc for a little while. So we had like, you know. And then Prevost. Carolyn Prevost from Canada. Oh, so we had, like, yeah, we worked with Michelle Latondra too for a little bit. And then uh, how do the how do these relationships happen? Like, are you is it like do uh, are people like talking to Carrie and they're like, geez, you got really good at rowing. And she's like, well, it's actually started working with these people or like, ha like, do you do you approach those people and say, I've worked with such and such and such and such. I can help you as well. Or is it a mixture of both of those things? It's like a mixture of both. Like we met Bethany at Wadapalooza one year when Lizzie was competing there. Um, we met her at. I think it was the ex endurance booth. We knew the guys from there and, um, we met her there and then, you know, they knew that we were working with Carrie. So, you know, obviously working with Carrie 
helps you get in the door with any other athlete because yeah. you know carrie is unbelievable but um you know carrie really did she would put in the work never you know question it like unbelievably like dedicated you saw the change right away yeah yeah i always say i wish i had carrie's video like when i first went in like her form i always mess with her about it because it was not good <laughs> but, <laughs> but she's, she's so coachable yeah she's such a fast learner it literally stopped her after like a few strokes i was like all right you're never gonna do that again and then and she never did she never did <laughs> Do you find is that a common trait with with high level crossfitters? Do you think, or are there some where you're like three days in, being like, oh, for fuck's sake, just like move your knees first? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm actually the... I'm surprised, yeah. and I, I get surprised every day. <laughs> I see it where a top level athlete rows or skis so poorly, and that they're unwilling to change it. Yeah, they wouldn't Olympic weightlift like that with yeah. such gross form because they wouldn't make the lift. Yeah. But they get away with it because you could still get the stroke on either yeah. one of those. Things. But like the form is sometimes horrendous. And I'm every time I'm blown away. I'm like, would you believe what this person's doing? Yeah. Well, when you when you when you change, say like if you're, I'm picturing myself on the skier, and I know I'd fall into that category. <laughs> so like, when would it be accurate to say that if I was to uh, address issues that I have with form on the skier, that I would suffer, uh, say, short to mid term, like Set with back. my numbers and with my whatever. So do you think maybe it's like if if someone's in an off season, they're like. Well, fuck that. I've got. I've only got a couple of months before my next comp. I'm not risking like lowering all of my numbers. Like this is getting me by. It's fine. Do you think that's why that is? Yeah, I think that's part of it. And then sometimes, like, if you're so used to sitting in a certain position on that seat on the rower, and then you switch it, it doesn't feel comfortable because you're not strong in the proper position. Yep. Again, I'm pretty sure I fall into that category. Yeah, uh, <laughs> in the proper position. The, the problem is they don't demand enough distance in CrossFit generally in Metcons because you, maybe it's 500 meters or maybe it's 300 yeah. meters, 15 calories, and you can get away with doing. Oh, so like they, they'd be found out if it was like 800 repeats or something or longer. 800 if it was thousands or if they did 2Ks. Or even if they did a 30-minute max meter, like you would see... People Some of these people that they would do great up to like 2K and then, you know, after that. That's usually the breaking point. There are some people that have shit form that could still do a good 2K. And then you'll mm. have a random person with shit form that can even do longer than a 2K. Yeah. These are anomalies, you know. Yeah. You can't help it. There are people that have shit form that do heavy lifts. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Um, so when you joined... Uh, We'll get on to form, don't worry. When you joined um, Underdogs then, was that like, um, did, did that signal an end to you, say, coaching just as yourself and now you're working with their athletes or are you still able to be like, oh, I'm still doing all this other stuff. Now I'm just also their, like, say, consigliere kind of unconditioning stuff. 
Yeah, I'm still doing, you know, other stuff, but, um, you know, no, no, no one's going to comment on my use of consigliere there. I'm so <laughs> proud of that. <laughs> That's a good word. That's a good word. <laughs> um, you know, Justin, you know, he's, he's not going to, you know, demand me to just be part of underdog. So, you know, I have my rowing group that is, you know, totally different than underdogs, but, mm. um, CrossFit wise, most of it is still just through underdogs. But I, you know, I still work with Carolyn Prevost, who has a different coach. So there are other athletes that, you know, I have worked with in the past or, you know, that I'm still currently working with. But um, mostly in the CrossFit world, it's, yeah, it's just through underdogs. Okay. Um, the games this year then, so Lizzie, uh, you were at the games, congrats. Um, what was that experience like? Um, I suppose because I was looking at your uh, athlete history on the you know the CrossFit um, page when I found out you were coming on as well, I was like, oh shit, I better research. So literally like thirty seconds. <laughs> um, so like you hadn't been to the games until this year, but you'd been to like regionals on your own, and you'd been to regionals on a team, and you'd done like you know very respectably. Uh, in the open in region and like worldwide, like you were 19th in 2017 uh, and first in your region in, in your bracket or whatever in the open. So like, I guess like on the cusp numerous yeah. times. So yeah. was, is there like, was there a feeling of like arrival? Like, did you enjoy it? Were you like, holy shit, like soak this in, this is amazing. Or were you immediately like, okay, 2022, how do I get back? Well, it was surreal. I wasn't expecting to make it to the games. She wasn't even going to do the open. I kind of tricked her into all of it. Yeah. You, just, you just turned off the music and she went. Yeah. yeah. She's like, well, you know, well, because we started filming videos for um, online purposes when our gym was closed. And then we kept it going on because of COVID that people couldn't work out. So we were filming. So he's like, it's just going to be like we're filming a workout for our members. So we're just going to do the open though and it'll be good for the gym. So I did the open and then made it to the qualifiers. So we just kept making it to the next stage of the next stage. And, and then, then I made it and I was just, I was just surprised actually. Yeah. And I think that it was because, um, I had dropped down to lightweight rower for the first time. Also last season, I was always like 145, 150 when I competed in CrossFit. And then Rob was like, you should drop down to lightweight and clean up. And I did. And then I had such a great rowing season. And then it turned out by losing 15, 20 pounds that I also got better at gymnastics. So. And her lifts didn't, her lifts didn't and go they didn't down. Suffer. So. The lifts didn't suffer. They stayed about the same. I'm not really like really good at anything, but I could do everything. Mm. So that it just, the, uh, the other things that I wasn't that good at got a little bit better and, and I made it through. And when she says she had a good rowing season, she... It was a good season. She won the Canadian uh, Indoor Championships. Everything was virtual. So she won the Canadian Indoor. Um, she got second at the World Championships. And won Crash B. And then she won U.S. Nationals. Wow. And then during this time, we set like 10 world records and then 10 American records or something like that. So... And that was really my focus for the season. I just wanted to do well in the rowing world 
because we really have a rowing gym. We're a yeah. premier rowing facility on Long Island. So I felt that we needed to gain some respect in the rowing world because nobody knew who we were because they had considered me a CrossFit athlete beforehand. So I was like, no, I'm a rower and I want to like get a good name for that. And then that just as the rowing season overlapped with the CrossFit season and then we just we took it from there. Um, I don't know how Savannah does this. I just opened a second tab. So I have you guys talking in one. I'm looking at stuff in another tab. I don't know how the fuck he does this every day. I don't know. His brain must work in such a weird way. Um, did you, uh, did you pull out of the games this year? Do you get yeah. injured at the games? Oh, so right, right before the games, actually, I had gotten, um, a partial tear in my plantar tendon in the bottom of my foot. So that, Is that was like your arch. Yeah. It's the arch, that tendon in the bottom of the foot tore um, right at the insertion point. It was that like, thing that, it's that thing that cramps in the middle of the night sometimes, <laughs> that part yeah. of your foot. Yeah, yeah, okay. So then I how, how, did, how did that happen? She had plantar fasciitis that she was battling through like the whole year. Um, and it was, you know, part of it was we were, you know, during COVID, we were trying to keep our gym outside. We have an outside area and it got cold out. And she ended up getting frostbite on her one of her toes. Then and it changed the gait of how I walked. And then the tendon got tight. And then I just kept training on it and training on it. And then six weeks before the games, I was like, this is really hurting me. So I got a cortisone shot, which I do not recommend anyone ever do. And the cortisone shot weakened the tendon. So then three days later, when I jumped, it ruptured the tendon. So I couldn't put any pressure on my heel at all. And I was in a walking boot and I didn't even want to go to the games. This was eight days, right? Eight days eight before. Eight days before. Rob and Justin said I had to go and that I would just do my best. So then day two, I fully ruptured the tendon, pushing that sled across. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. It's, that's like possibly the worst position you could put your foot in like yeah on your toes that, that workout had rowing in it so it was it like it's a great workout she's I gotta finished. do it yeah so even like they had messed up the calculations after the swim but i was in like fourth or fifth place even hobbling along on this one foot so i did i want to be able to go back and experience the games yeah. not injured to see what i am truly capable of because i'm not really sure i was like very scared to do anything and i couldn't push off of the foot the whole how, time how, how is it now you know what it's still an issue she I, actually she actually fractured the top of her foot when she got out of the boot so i was in the boot for eight weeks after the games and then i was allowed to come out and then i started walking again and then about four weeks later i started getting bad pain on the top of my foot so I went back and they did some MRIs and they said, your, the, your foot's broken. I was like, what? How did this happen? And they said, it's unrelated that sometimes these things just happen with age. And I said, I'm not that old. <laughs> and then I was in a boot for another four weeks. And then I, I really just got out of the boot like four weeks ago. And now mm. I can't jump still and I can't run. And it still hurts to walk. It's okay. weird. The foot thing's weird. I don't know. If it's not healed and I can't jump, I obviously can't do the open. So when when is the um when is the next stage 
for Masters athletes after the Open? After the Open, so it's it, the qualifiers. No, no, it's different this year. Quarterfinals, quarterfinals. So I don't know the exact dates, but like if she it's, would, pro- it's probably like three weeks, is it? Yeah, yeah. Like she has some time in between each one. But so know, last year's setup, the previous setup would have actually probably suited you better because you could have like just done the bare minimum to get through the open and then have like a couple of months to recover or whatever. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, like no. this one, she could do bare minimum to try to get to that next, you know, quarterfinals. But then after that, then she would yeah. have to ramp it up. So yeah, we'll you, need get, you, need, you need to get one of those toe spacer uh, deals. Yeah, she's I got have everything. <laughs> I probably have $5,000 worth of toe foot stuff. I would say though your foot has gotten a little better in the last couple weeks, so we'll see. She's rowing again, which is good. She actually, we could say it because this doesn't come out till Wednesday. Yeah, she set a world record today on the rower for the one minute. Wow, yeah. is that you? Do you have to do meters in a minute? Is it? Yeah, yeah. She she, she held the world record prior to it, but today she beat her own record. It's yeah. for the um, premier rowing league. I got, um, what, what's, uh, what meters is, uh, how many did you do in a minute? What was your old record? The old record was 324. It was a 132.5 pace. Today she held a 132.0. So she knocked 0.5 off of it and she got 326. Wow. Yeah. Do you think you could beat it again? Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. That's always good. I I assume I like I have no fucking idea, but I assume it's good to have a world record, beat your world record, and know that you still have enough left that like the next time you could go more. Well, today it was so it's the Premier Rowing League. So I got asked to coach um, in this indoor rowing league. They did a draft. Um, After the draft, like you get to pick all these different athletes that signed up. They you know they write down their stats. And I actually didn't get Lizzie in the draft. I had to trade for her. I had a plan that I was going to take one of my, you know, rowing athletes that I've coached, you know, in the past. I was going to take her first. Then I was going to take Lizzie as my second pick. But I guess somebody in there thought it would be funny. Let's mess with his plan and let's take Lizzie. And it's not like they just took Lizzie. Like, Lizzie's very good, obviously. But the in this premier rowing league, there's no lightweight heavyweight. So out of the master's pool, it would be foolish to choose a lightweight athlete because I cannot. Also, they purely did it to fuck with him then. It's pure strength. So Rob chose a heavyweight big athlete who pulls amazing numbers and I can't beat this girl. So she would be first pick, but then another girl, another coach wanted that girl. So she picked me (laughs) to game it so that Rob, he, she would put Rob in a predicament to want the trade. There's more to it though. So if you set a world record, so you go head to head against another athlete on another team each week. And this week was three by one minute on one minute off. And each minute is a point. So Lizzie setting a world record, you get, you know, an incentive, you get an extra three points for a world record. Okay. So I was looking at the trade and I was like, all right, if I trade for Lizzie, one, I'm not going to have to sleep on the couch. (laughs) Two, 
I could get her to hit some world records and we could get some extra points. So it, it really, I don't think teams, they were thinking that because the next day when they did a recap of the draft, the head of the rowing league said, what a mistake Rob Carson made. <laughs> Why would he train a heavyweight athlete for a lightweight athlete? But it now they're happen. seeing where my head is. Well, they'll at. see when the scores come in and yeah. that I got a world record and maybe was able to steal a point or two from a heavyweight athlete because we could um, like game each workout. Yeah. God, that's amazing. It's, yeah. it, there's a whole world there that I just know nothing about. There's wow. a it's, whole world there. It sounds, it sounds a bit, is it a bit more like, um, uh, is there a bit more pizzazz to it than like others? Like, do, are they kind of trying hard to make it, um, like Vegasy? Like I'm, like, like I'm picturing the draft and I'm picturing like, you know, people in a room and stuff like, are they make, is there, are they like building up tension and stuff by doing that? Cause that was the easy thing is to just have the coach work with their own athlete. Well, yeah, that's like in the beginning, I was like, I wish I could pick my own athletes, but it was it was fun. It was online, the draft, so it was live on YouTube. Um, and then they did it like a fantasy football. So like one to six, then six down to one like that. Um, but it was fun. It was, you know, different experience. And the league's just getting started this week. It's, you know, short season. It's only eight weeks. Yeah six weeks of the regular season and then you know playoffs after that that's cool yeah. um okay so we need to get on to like what we're really here to talk about yeah. um so the crossfit pyramid is what this uh series is is about and i i spoke about nutrition last week and it's the bottom uh tier of the yeah. pyramid um and then second in is conditioning um so it's obviously announced as being the the second most important facet of like crossfit uh, as a i guess as a way of health and fitness or a way of life or whatever um why do you think that it's deserving of the position that it's in as opposed to say strength or you know like why why do you think it's as low down as it is i mean i really think it's like that foundation that base that you need to do anything else especially in crossfit you know like if you took an Olympic lifter, most of them, you know, that could say they could snatch 300 pounds. If they can't, you know, do anything conditioning wise, they're never going to make it anywhere in CrossFit. So I think it's, you know, not just because it's what I do, but I think it is the most important. Yeah. I think it's um, too, because of the mental aspect that goes with it. The level of suffering that you endure during endurance pieces helps you grow as an athlete and as a person that helps you overcome hard things that you're faced with outside of rowing. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like the, a lot of what people like about CrossFit is that like it messes with your head so that when something happens that, you know, like something in real life happens, you're ready for it. You're fine with it because you've been through like hundred burpees or whatever for time. Yeah. So yeah, I suppose if you, if you're not conditioned, you're not going to be able to push yourself hard enough in the workout to discover how deep you or dark you can go to then use that skill outside of the gym as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, so I'll have, there, there's some like listener, uh, questions like peppered in, uh, throughout this. Um, and one, one thing that came up, so, uh, I became aware of say monostructural work through, uh, Tim Paulson posting on his, uh, Instagram, like two years ago, he started putting up like 
morning monostructural and it was just like the rower and then on the bike and back and forth or whatever and it's something that i didn't know like my exposure to crossfit is like whatever i do in my gym and like that's it um and we do like metcon classes which are as you'd expect and then we do cardio classes which sometimes can be kind of similar to metcon which is lighter or longer uh you know versions of them if you know what i mean like longer stints on each in each station or whatever but then there's sometimes where there's like ladders like long ladders and short ladders and sprints and like longer distances and stuff and i kind of started realizing that like there's just two very separate but similar things happening when you have those long like endurance style pieces and then say intervals of like shorter sprint style distances um and the question was basically is the advice for someone in the general population to prioritize one over the other at first like should everyone get say proficient in long distances before they start worrying about short distances or vice versa or do you build them both like concurrently or do you work on a cycle of long distance or longer endurance pieces and then swap and do a cycle of like shorter distance or back and forth or, or like what's the best way to have them both develop together i would like you know the mix of the two because one like if i if we just have you doing long distance stuff you're gonna dread doing it you know it's never broken up it's the same thing every day um you know if that was your goal it'd be a little different but i think for general like population a mix 100 percent. yeah with a certain goal in mind so we have a 2k program right now that is is like in a separate group and even in that 2k program we're working on short distance middle distance long distance but the ultimate goal is to pr the 2k so that's always the underlining yeah. emotion there like we're working on our 2k and you're thinking about that the whole time even though you're doing maybe a 3 by 15 minute piece or you're doing 20 by 30 seconds on 30 seconds off so we're hitting yeah. all these different stimuluses, but we're still molding you in a 2K program where a 5K program would look a little different, where you still would have sprints, but maybe there would be more middle distance and long distance in a 5K program because your focus is on that 5K. Yeah, I get you. Um, is there an uh, angel or something to your left, Lizzie? Because like, uh, the sun started setting. That oh, that uh, is that's better. That's way better. Yeah, I was like, I was like, do they not realize that there's a deity like three centimeters to their left? I saw it coming in. Yeah. <laughs> I love, uh, there we go. No, that's perfect. That's perfect. Um, the front room. Okay, so I feel uh, so. Some of these, I like. Does it, like I'm kind of conscious that for some people listening, they'll be like, oh, come on, I know the answer to this. I know whatever. But like if we're talking about if you've mentioned the fact that there's elite level athletes, when you see them sitting on a rower, you're like, what the fuck are you doing? I assume that that like filters down to people like me who are like they learned how to use a rower in the middle of a class of 20 people and never paid it any more attention after that or a bike or whatever. Um, so I wanted to kind of go through. I guess some of the machines um, that would be most common and just see what like the average person who maybe you don't know anything about, like you haven't seen a video of them or you haven't seen them in person, but going by the amount of people that you've coached down through the years and the amount of people that you've seen, what are the common areas 
that most people you could just say you probably need to do this this and this like if you look at the the rower first like what are the things that you most commonly see as like oh my god when early you see someone knee, on a rower early knee early hip so early knee means that they're bending the knee too early on the way back to the catch okay so they're not optimizing their recovery and so they just look like an accordion folding up. And from it changes the, the handle path too, because now Everything you gotta go up and over up. the knee. So that's that's something that we see a lot. And then early hip is huge, where they look like they're in a speedboat, throwing their shoulders <laughs> back from the catch position. So they're opening the hip early, but the rowing stroke is sixty percent legs. So you have to drive the seat back first with the upper body leaning forward. And they don't use their legs. They're just flinging their back open. Okay. And that one's very difficult because people that have developed that in the CrossFit world, for whatever reason, are unwilling to do it the right way. And they're losing 30% of at their least, power. At least. Wow, that. yes, that's a substantial. Is yeah. someone, like if you told someone you're only, like it's a flat out sprint, but you're only allowed to go at 70%. Yeah, you just I've lost straight away. Like, so what they usually have to yeah. do with an early hip is they crank the damper up, and that's another thing that we see often. People have the damper way too high; they'll put it up to nine or ten because they think they're very strong and they can handle that. But what it does to your legs and to your central nervous system is detrimental to the next thing that you're about to do. So where I would be able to hold that same pace and get off and be fine, be able to go on and do. 10 bar muscle ups, it might hurt them. They wouldn't be able to get off and do 10 bar muscle okay. ups. What, what, what damper should the average person have? It, it correlates to a number called the drag factor. So you would check the drag factor because every machine is calibrated differently out of the factory. And then the environment that the machine is kept in is going to affect the drag factor. Dust yeah. up inside the flywheel and such. So you have to check the drag factor. I grow at a 118 drag. You're right around the same 118 also, but, but men could usually, if they're, um, not a great rower, they would probably need a drag factor of 130 because they need that tactical feedback from the wind of the flywheel. Okay. Also that's the drag factor is like the resistance that you feel basically. It's the yeah. resistance of the flywheel. Yeah. So like a 118, she might be at a four on that damper setting. Um, and then a 130 might be a five and a half. Okay, so if I have my damper on a one, I'm like wasting my time, basically. It's too low. Like you're not, you know, unless you're really, you good. know, really good rower, like you're not going to catch that slack in the chain and feel that resistance right away. Um, so we generally tell everybody, you know, four to five, but we like to tell them also check the drag factor because like Lizzie said, if my machine hasn't been taken care of in forever, the, the chain wasn't oiled, it's never been, you know, um, vacuumed on the inside to get the dust out, you may have to put the damper all the way up to a 10 just to get that drag factor of a 118. But so if, what, if someone's doing a competition then, like say, like if someone turns up at the games, you do you work under the assumption that all the machines have been tested, all the machines have, ha they've all been calibrated, so they're all as you'd expect? Um, your drag. They let you out on the floor first to see okay. what the drag is usually. Yeah. 
But I, if I wasn't allowed to check the drag at the games, those are fairly new machines or brand new machines. So I would just put it to a four and okay. assume that that would be a 118 because uh, 117, 118. It's interesting. I think one of the one of the standout things that you said there is people. people uh, so in my experience, people who think they're good on the rower push the damper up like higher and higher. Like they, they, like I've often gotten onto the rower and someone will have it on a ten, and I'm like, "Fuck that!" And I'll like turn it down. Um, so it's interesting that one of the points you said is I shouldn't have it on a one because I'm probably not a good enough rower to yeah. have it that low rowers will set it at like a two or a three yeah so that's interesting that the, that the better you are the, the lower you, you can go you instead of the, yeah. you don't yeah. need tactical feedback and then you get the wind to like it we we work um we're friends with this girl christine cavalla she's an olympic hopeful she's absolutely amazing lightweight rower and but she's been a huge inspiration for me and she's like what is your damper at and i was like at the time 123 and she's like oh my god like mud she's like lower that you get wind beneath your wings so i've been trying to get it lower and lower she thinks that i should be between like a 111 to 115 but okay. i'm not good enough yet to be at that number and generate the type of power that she does at that low number but her and are you are you noticing that like when you're looking at the street at the screen or are you feeling it like no this doesn't feel, feel right it. Okay. Yeah, you, you feel it. You feel it. So when you get into that catch position, if you don't feel that tension right away on the chain, that your drag factor might be a little too low. Like if you okay. start pushing off and then you feel the tension, like it, it might be a little bit too low. So, you know, coaching purposes, we'll put that a little higher on somebody. And it, we might put it a little higher than we would want them to row at. But Sorry. So you're saying that when you're in closest to the monitor, before you pull at all, before you move your legs at all, you should feel tension on the chain yeah. rather than pulling it, like say straightening your legs a little bit and then be like, Oh, there it is. So you yeah. should immediately have, okay, right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you pull your chest up, you feel that tension and then you push back. Okay. With your that's interesting. Keeping that tension on the chain and we could see it because we've coached thousands of people. I will look at that first inch of the stroke and I will raise or lower that damper to suit that athlete. Yeah. That's yeah so if they're starting to open the hip early, like Lizzie was talking about, it might be too high because now they got to get something behind it to get it moving. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. That's very yeah. interesting. Um, it does the same thing correlate. Like, is it different with say the biker then because you're, uh, the damper is, it's the opposite then, is it? Like the, the, the stronger your legs are, the higher you can put yes. the damper because you can keep everything up high at a yeah. higher level, basically. Yeah, the, the, the biker is different because, you know, that's going to put into effect the type of athlete you are too. Like, um, I don't have the strongest of legs, so I have to rely on a higher RPM. So my damper yeah. is going to be around a four, but, you know, I know athletes that will have it around a six and you know their rpm might be like 15 to 20 lower than mine but they're holding the same number because they have those strong legs and they're able to do that but okay. you know we always preach like finding that that good middle ground because in crossfit like you can't burn out on the machine you have this 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 and this yeah, yeah. after it so 
That's why, you know, when we talked about like holding the certain stroke rates, even in a CrossFit program where I may only have you rowing once or twice a week, depending on the other monostructural stuff you have to do, that stuff is very important. And I put that into the program because you have to know how to, you know, what 26 strokes per minute feels like and what pace you could hold there. And you have to know what 28 feels like and 30. Because in, in most CrossFit wads, I'm probably going to tell you to stay around 26 to 28, depending on the distance. This way, you're not burning out the legs too much by kicking off so hard each stroke. And that you're not getting your heart rate up too high by going too many strokes per minute. So we like to find that like that comfort spot. So like Lizzie did a workout yesterday where it started with 60 calorie row. She was probably probably around 26, 27 strokes because she knows she can hold this pace. It's going to get her off that rower in this amount of time. And she's going to be able to go right into 50 total bar. She's not going to have to wait one second. And she's trained herself for so long. She knows exactly what it feels like. And she'll even bring that into another workout where she's like, even if there's no rowing, she's like, all right, this is a 150 pace on the rower. I could hold this for 3000 meters, 10 minutes. So she knows she could do that feeling in a workout that doesn't even have rowing in it. Yeah. Like even after the rower yesterday, keeping it at 26 strokes per minute, I, like whatever that pace felt like to me, I kept that going for the 50 total bar. So I felt yeah, like yeah. still doing 26 strokes per minute. Then it went to the wall balls and I was going 28 strokes per minute in my mind, throwing the wall ball. Then the deadlift, I went up to 30 strokes per minute because that I could move faster. Yeah. And then I got the muscle up and I dropped it down to two strokes. strokes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, are you saying that, would it be fair to say that one of the most common mistakes on the bike erg is people thinking, oh, this is a strength. I'm pushing it too hard. And then like jelly leg it over to the toes bar or whatever. Yeah. 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 I collapsed coming off of the bike when it first came out. I did a workout. <laughs> Carrie was in Dubai and she said, we have to bike, row, ski. Oh, the Asabat, yeah. What yeah. do you think we could hold for that? And we were like, we don't, we've never even seen the bike before. Um, so we had gotten the bike that weekend also. We unwrapped it, put it together. And I was like, all right, we'll give it a try. And then I'll let you know what I did so we could game it for you. And I got off the bike and collapsed on my way to the rower. My legs just completely gave out on me. Yeah. And I got to I, the rower and I just rode with my body and arms. I had yeah. no legs. You did exactly what you hate. I was like, oh my God, I was Lieutenant Dan. And then I got to the ski and was able to come back to life. So I was like, all right, don't do that. That yeah, was, a, yeah. you can't do that on the bike. Lower the damper and get that wind behind it so that you still have legs to walk over to that rower with. Yeah. Um, the skier then do, do the, do, are the principles for the skier closer to the principles of the roar of feeling tension and that kind of stuff, or is it a different okay. machine altogether again? Your stroke rate is generally going to be higher on the, on the ski. Um, it's a, it's a shorter stroke though. Kind of. it's like a it's a quicker, stroke, yeah. Like strokes per minute, 60 strokes per yeah, minute. Yeah. Like, and then when you're doing your low rate stuff on, you know, the ski, I'll have, you know, stuff in my program that maybe will go down to like 36 strokes per minute. But on a rower, that would be a lot. Yeah, yeah. E, that's very low. And then Lizzie will go over about this butterfly technique that we hate. <laughs> well, it's not, I mean, this, each one of those machines, these are Olympic sports. 
Cross-country yeah. skiing is an Olympic sport. Cycling is an Olympic sport. Rowing is an Olympic sport. So you have to walk, you have to look at that sport and see how it's performed because this is the training tool for Olympians. And well, I, I've had Castro on the show before, and he said that the skier is a stupid machine because it's just, he said it has nothing to do with skiing. Like it's not. It doesn't mimic the. It does have to do with cross-country skiing. It is just like cross-country skiing, and like I have done um, stand-up paddleboard for long periods of time and i've done a lot of swimming and i find a crossover of the swimming stroke oh yeah if you ever see a swimmer get on the skier they'll just eat it compared to someone you know like two people have never used it if one of them was a swimmer their lats are just like the way they move yeah yeah Yeah, and they're not going to butterfly the recovery on that stroke because that's not how the mechanics of the shoulder are built so when you're flaring the arm out and bringing it back down you're putting it in a compromised position you're not gaining any benefit from taking a longer trip back up. I mean, the you want to go from point A, your finished position, to uh, point A, your starting position, to point B, your finished position, and back in a straight, the shortest distance possible. It's not coming out and around. Okay, because a lot, a lot of people res- resort or uh, revert to that in sprints. Like if it's 10 calories, you'll see... Um, I have definitely done this because as soon as you said butterfly, I was like, I've done that. So, I saw your face. I knew it. <laughs> I was like, what's wrong with the way that I always ski? Uh, no, I don't always do it. Um, but yeah, no, I've, I've definitely been like, okay, 10 calories. This is how I go fast. And I've done that because it, it just, I guess it's probably, a, um, I'm trying to think of the Gram- grammatical term for it but it's like an opposite where you think it's true because you've told yourself it's true but in actual fact it's just the yeah, opposite of what's actually, actually true to the test you would realize that you are most likely slower yeah because you're crossing more distance to get from point a to and point it's, b it's risky like why hurt your shoulder doing a 10 calorie spread yeah. you know then you can't Go to CrossFit tomorrow. So. You get back into that catch position in a compromised shoulder position. So if you're if you don't get it back up here and you're out here as you take yeah, your yeah. stroke down, that's not a strong position for your shoulder. So you are putting your shoulder at risk that way. Yeah. Um. I, sorry. I want to go back. Uh, I'll go back to Rowan in a second. But just on the skier, uh, a lot of them have stands, and a lot of them like some gyms have them on stands and if you were at a competition it's on a stand because it's like in the middle of the floor some people have them like against the wall and stuff um is there obviously it's different like height i assume is the the factor there of where like how close how far away you stand because you need to be able to not like impale your head on the like v of the skier but is there a goldilocks area for like should should like how far away should your head be say because i know some people go way back and then, yeah, you know, the strings are coming. One arm's width apart. You grab the handles and you put your, your, your fingers out to touch the, you know, the little, v part. the little V part. And then that's generally for most people right there. And then the handles away from each other then. Is it like, like uh, armpit closed, we'll say, straight in front? Or is there a gap, like are your hands out a little bit? Or where should your hands be? Well, you're, you're always going to have like this slight bend in the elbow. And then Lizzie teaches, you know, and I think it's great the way she teaches it. She has, you know, the athlete do slam balls and then hollow hold or a hollow rock. And then we even have at our gym, we call them ski erg sit-ups. So I'll have them lock their arms out in a position like this, and then they have to sit up, but just halfway. So it's like a crunch. 
Oh, yeah. And then they roll back down. So then they are learning how to engage the core to pull the weight down from the flywheel rather than using the arms because you're not really using your arms. Those are locked into position. And then you're throwing your core into action in order to bring your upper body forward, hinge slightly at the hip, bend slightly at the knee, bring in the handles to the outside of the knee, and then straight back up. Yeah, and if you're not using your core, you're going to burn out. Your, your triceps are going to burn out. So me and Lizzie did this uh, competition once and they had one of the stations was a ski and I hadn't really spent any time on it. And I was like, I'm going to crush Lizzie in this. Now, meanwhile, we had to do all this other stuff before it, which affected me a lot more than it affected her because she's a CrossFit athlete. So we got to the ski <laughs> and I started taking off. And it was three minutes to get as many calories as you can. And I think she beat me by like 15 or 20 calories because my triceps just blew up and I, lit I just couldn't take strokes anymore. And I was like, wow, I just really got my ass kicked. <laughs> and yeah. that, like never again. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I'm going to learn how to skate. The, we, at our gym, I put the four ski machines so close to each other that you can't butterfly or you're going to bang into the person next to you. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you might have noticed my face um again there <laughs> when you were talking about you don't use your arms, your arms are locked in position, you use your core. I was like, uh oh. <laughs> it's, a, it's it's absolute core exercise. So there's okay. uh core engagement, hip hinge, slight bend in the knee, and then you're going straight back up. And you almost want to so think it's lats and core. You almost want to think bad posture. Like on the rower we're we're telling you a proud chest. But on the ski, we're telling you to basically round that upper back. It's like back hollow body. You want to yeah, hold yeah, yeah. body position so that you could pull it down. And again, the ski is great for athletes that are taller and bigger because they have that uh, mass pulling that, that weight way. down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they're taller. So they have a, you know, I have to basically jump in order to come up <laughs> to the catch position because I'm only 5'5". Five five. But um, what, what degree of angle would you say the because obviously i'm i'm like i'm picturing well i'm trying to picture myself on the skier it's obviously a hard thing to do because i can't see myself but i'm picturing like games athletes and stuff on the skier and i'm picturing i can picture two very different styles like in my head i can picture say like fakowski uh is very like a slam ball like he's it's very like he's throwing, and he's like bent he's only bending like yeah. you know it's it's like not even 45 degrees upper yes. body to lower body That's but then idea. i i can i can also picture other people in almost a full squat yeah like, the handles to the side of their ankles yeah yeah so it, it is so fakowski's if you want to watch someone on the skier he's the guy to watch i guess yes as long as he's not butterflying <laughs> I don't think I, he I don't think he does. He definitely know. doesn't. He definitely doesn't strike me as the type of person who would know yeah. that. Who who would not know that you're not supposed to do that? I'd say he'd well, have found out by now. One of our friends, if you you know get a chance, and we can send you video too. But if you get a chance, um, our friend Justin Farina, his Instagram handle is Garage Athlete. He's amazing on the ski, and you'll see it's same thing. Like he barely goes to that 45 degree position. Yeah. He's bringing the handles basically to his pockets. It's just that you get like this whipping action out of it and you find your rhythm with that. And then you, you get the work done, but people that are collapsing down to the floor, um, they look like they're dying because they are, <laughs> and it's not efficient. 
and they're wasting so much energy. Yeah, and this like to like what we were saying, like in CrossFit, you're not just skiing; you're skiing, and then you got to do something doing else. Something else. So, so you want to yeah. be as, efficient as possible on that machine, so that when you come off, you're able to do what you're asked to do. Yeah, because I know. I've hit my knees with my skier handles and I know I've hit the, the stand, you know, the bar that comes down, you know, the, I know I've hit that as well. So I'm like, I've definitely need to like brush up on that. Um, like a FaceTime call. Yeah. yeah. We can help you out. Uh, Some some people are beyond help. Um, we, we go back to the roller then. So you mentioned the proud chest and I know, you also mentioned the excessive hip hinge. Um, so uh, proud chest, like obviously I'm picturing myself, like I kind of naturally have round, I've rounded back, uh, just through years of being a fucking idiot when I'm walking around and sitting down and stuff. Um, and I also don't have, which I think is a common thing. Like my ankle mobility wouldn't be the best. So like I know when I'm sitting on the rower, I can go to a certain point with like perfect posture, but if I want to go beyond, I, I'm talking about going towards the screen, we'll say, yeah. but if I go, want to go closer, my heels are going to come off. I'll be on my toe. Am I like, I'll be, you know, like kind of lurching forward to reach, if you know what I mean, rather than like collapsing further into it, like a, like into a squat or whatever. So is there for the average person, is there a point that you should not go beyond? Like, is there, is there something that changes that you think, oh no, you've gone too far now, even though maybe they're not in as far as you'd like them to go anyway. Are you like, oh no, you've gone too far, push back a little bit. Yeah. So for someone that can't get into an ideal catch position because of ankle mobility, I will shorten their catch position. So I'll draw a white chalk line to where I want them to go in that day. And what, what, what deterioration are you looking at to be like, no, you can't go all the way. Cause every, obviously everybody can get in, you can get in, but like it's what yeah, falls so apart. Like the heel is allowed to come up, but they can't be pushing off of the toe and the chest needs to remain proud so that the core is engaged. The back can't be rounded. So I'll okay. usually, my first marker will be, where does the back round? Where do we lose core integrity? Then I will push the heel down a little bit and then I'll mark the rower with white chalk and I'll say, this is your catch position today. But then I pull them off of the rower after the session and I'll make them, um, that's, that's good. Yeah. Now we're losing (laughs) light. Um, so then I'll pull them off the rower and we'll work, uh, movements for ankle mobility or hip mobility. And then I put them back on the rower and we see if we can move that chalk line forward a little bit. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. If they constantly are working on trying to achieve the proper position with keeping the core engaged and a proud chest and leaning in and not pushing off of the toe and we keep at it and we keep at it, usually within a couple of sessions, we'll have them in the proper catch position. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, okay. So the, I'm going to group the assault bike and the echo bike together. Um, because they're, they're a similar, a similar principle, I guess. They're very different though. in my experience, I remember yes. sitting on the echo bike and pedaling and being like, the fuck is wrong with this thing? Like, why isn't, why is it not moving the way it should? And I was, yeah, it wasn't a pleasant experience. Um, I know when I'm faced with anything on either of those machines, my urge to sprint is just insurmountable. Like I am always going to give in at some point to be like, fuck it. And just like start pushing harder on it. Um, are the echo and assault bikes, are they like, 
too aggressive to be used as traditional conditioning implements. Like say the skier, you could, like it's very easy. Well, it's not okay. It's not easy, but like you could do 10 K on the skier. You could do 10 K on the rower without like, you know, maybe it's a mental thing, but I just feel like on the assault bike, if someone said, okay, you're doing 10 miles of the assault bike, you'd be like, oh fuck. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, I thought that cause when I broke my foot after the plantar healed and then I was back in the boot, I was very upset naturally and I couldn't row because I couldn't push off of the foot. And I was mm. like, I'm ruined again. And Rob's like, you're going to do the assault bike program that he um, had just written for the underdog group. So um, it's a full program and I was spending all oh, yeah, my time yeah. on that assault bike. So in the beginning, like you said, you just have this urge to get on there, go as fast as you can, die, uh, kick it over and never look yeah. at it again. And I or, or do that thing where you go as fast as you can and then you stand up for a while as if somehow that's going to make things better. And then you, you realize how slow things are going and then you sit down again, but you're already fucked because you were standing up for a while. Yeah, it's just it's disgusting. That so right. that happened. Um, <laughs> and then it happened again. And then I went slower and built up on one workout. And I was like, okay, oh my God, I didn't fail that session. And then I failed the next session and then I got it. I understood what the, what RPM I could hold and what I could make it go to and how much I had left in the tank. So I figured it out and then I started doing the sessions and not failing the sessions, which makes me feel a lot better leaving. Cause I hate if I get like 57 calories and then 58 calories and then I'm supposed to get 60, but then I get 40. I'm just like <laughs> devastated and I, and I want to cry. So I figured out it, it took me about like four sessions to get it, but then I was able to understand the numbers on there and create negative splits or increasing calorie output, e increasing watt mm. as I went through the workout. Mm. Other extremely painful sessions. Yeah. Is there like, Let's say if CrossFit came to you and said, okay, we're going to get rid of one of the machines. Is there a, like, is there one of the machines that you think ah, we could probably do without that one? Like, you know, yeah, it's fine. It's there. Like, like, would you, would you have done an assault bike program for underdogs if the assault bike or the echo bike weren't, didn't appear at semifinals of the games? You know what I mean? Like, is there one machine where you think we could probably do without that one? Lizzie's going to say the assault bike. Yeah. I hated that thing. I'm wow. going to say the ski. Really? Why, why, why do you think the ski? I just don't spend enough time on it. So, you know, it's probably, but even, I, I mean, even like objectively, even like take, take away everything that you like or don't like as it like, do you think that there's a machine where the crossover isn't maybe as good as people think it is or where like, say if some, if you were talking to someone now who was, uh, going to buy how many are there Four machines, say they could only buy three. So I know that most people you ask, what machine would you buy? The the oh, most consistent answer you get would be a rower. So is yeah. there a, is there a one that you wouldn't buy? Uh, I guess it would have to be like I really love the assault bike, but I guess it would have to be that because you could get the biker. But then the biker doesn't really hurt as bad as the assault bike. Yeah, so assault bike is more kind of whole body as well. Get rid of the bike erg and keep the assault bike. and keep the assault bike. I, okay. I like that. 
Yeah, they could just buy they could just buy a turbo for their bike and use that instead of the biker. Yeah, because the biker really is like street cycling. Yeah, I, I see a big crossover with that. So I guess you could just always like get on your bike and ride your bike instead. Yeah, we're keeping the assault bikes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um. Okay. So, co- common mistakes. Uh, skier uh, is the 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 Fire posture. Fire uh and the and the butterfly um and rower is turning up the damper losing your posture and like thinking oh, yeah uh, the the early 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 extension in the, the early knees early hips are, mm-hmm. are the the major flares i suppose um and then biker is people cranking it up too high to think i can power through this and then they're fucked when they get off it mm-hmm. um running then is is there a common uh, a common mistake that you see people make obviously we can talk about like gait and we and you know there's so many different people that you look at same as the roar i guess right there's going to be different parts where people fall down and stuff but i guess probably more so in running because it's entirely individual like you're not holding on to anything you're not you know yeah. uh, like there's more acceptable range too i mean there are so many different styles of running that get people from point a to point b you know, different gates and they're all acceptable. People have like that propeller foot and it's acceptable, but I think people don't pay attention to their, um, their pacing and numbers on rowing. And I think that would be running. Uh, on, on running and that would be their biggest mistake in my opinion. Yeah. They're just oh, like, you think they just oh, run to run. and they just, I'm running. Well, how did you do? What did you do? How, how, what were your splits? And they're like, I was running. <laughs> is that, do you think that's where the things like the assault runner come in then where people can, it's easier to see your splits yeah. and it's easier to. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great for that because if you're not an experienced runner and you're on the track, like, do you really know how fast you're going? Like if yeah. you only do it in CrossFit wads and then maybe once a week, you know, or once every two weeks you throw in a run, um you're not gonna really know your body and what six minutes feels like what you know seven minute pace feels like like it's a game changer when you do these um endurance workouts with intent and and you don't take them for granted or you you called it boring in the beginning (laughs) if you if you approach it that way you're just like slopping it out then that's what you're going to get in return but if you put intent into those exercises then you're going to get a big return on your investment there because you're going to get that crossover to maybe the things that you find more sexy like lifting or gymnastics um and with the screens then with the the uh, concept screens and the assault screens there's obviously there's a lot of data or data for american uh, listeners um there's a lot of data um to look at and to take in and like you guys mentioned stroke rate on the skier and the rower and then obviously you've got like watts and you've got calories per hour and you've got just your calories or your distance or whatever or your projected distance your projected 500 i think is is what most of the uh, concept machines have is there uh is there something that like someone should be because you mentioned there like what such and such feels like what like what a seven minute pace feels like what whatever feels like what you know a 10k feels like is there one of those numbers that you think most people say like in my position who are never going to go to the games, never going to just want to get better. Is there 
as uh, one of those metrics better than the others for me to look at and to think okay well say i did this many watts when i was doing 10k i'm only doing 4k this time so i should be able to do way higher watts or what like is there a number that i should be looking at is is calories per hour better or is watts better or does it matter I once like i just pick one per 500 okay so we got in the concept machines the pace per 500 on the ski in the row and then it's pace per 1000 on the bike um because those, like, you know, you could really see the difference between, like, you know, let's say you do um, a 3K on the rower and you're holding a 145, and then you do a 5K and you're holding a 147. Like, the numbers are, you know, closer grouped together, whereas, you know, watts could get a little, you know, confusing because, you know, do you know exactly what... 330 watts is to your pace. Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't. So even with the assault bike, I like the athlete to focus more on the RPM because okay. it's a smaller number. It's easier for them to look at. If I tell Lizzie, I want you to hold 60 RPM on, you know, whatever workout she's doing, she knows she could play between 58 and 62. And she's good. Yeah. It's, it's less, uh, it's less immediately reactive as well, I think, isn't it? Like the watch jumps up and down based on, you could like shift in your seat and it'll drop a ton. It like. make your heart rate go up too. Yeah. Think, oh man, I'm off, you know? And, you know, same thing with the calorie per hour. Um, you know, I, we always, we always hear, oh, I got to get one calorie per pole. Or, you know, you'll have a male athlete that's like, I want to hold over 1600. And I'm like, all right can you hold a 137 pace for um, 10 minutes? Like, what's your 2K pace? And they're like, oh, my 2K is a 145. And I'm like, then you're not holding 137 for 200 calories, you know? So um, I think those numbers could be a little confusing. And we I'm, use them to confuse members. Yes. So if I have a member that I'm finding they're holding themselves back because they are afraid to go sub 150 on a 2k let's say and when they go to sub 150 they get panicked like i'm going too fast i'm gonna die i'll switch them over to calories per hour now they're confused they have no idea what's going on on their screen it forces them to almost not look at the screen anymore and trust themselves so we do it to confuse people we'll switch to calories or watts is there is there ever a time to cover the uh, screen completely I haven't on it. I don't like that because, like, you do want to know when it's over. Yeah. You don't want to be guessing. You know? Oh, you're only supposed to do 5K and you did 12. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're going to do but 12. Even if you're, <laughs> even if you're doing 5K, you don't want to do 5,100 meters. You want to do 5K. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, I, that might slow them down not seeing anything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fair. Um, Okay, so what what are uh, when it comes to like coaching conditioning, then like say like the the broad spectrum of conditioning, not just the rower, but like uh, the the all in, like everything that that word encompasses, I guess. What are some of the common errors that you see when you start working with an athlete who say is coming from a background of being really proficient at gymnastics, and you know, like be, be, maybe their coach, their previous coach, or the coach that they're currently working with that brought you in is very good at strength but conditioning is just like maybe they're less confident at it and they've they, you know they've been doing stuff but just not to the level that you would do it at what is uh 
what is the say the common errors that you see when you start working with people like that 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 as in like from the coach's perspective like what what area do you think that a lot of coaches maybe are lacking in when it comes to how to get someone better at conditioning so i i noticed right off the bat is people won't set the monitors right away. So like, if you're like, oh, I want you to do a 2K and then they send you a screen and it says 2,040 meters, they just hit just row and they started going. So I, I noticed that a lot, um, you know, that they don't know how to set the monitor, um, that, you know, like I said, they'll hit just row. Or if I have them doing 300 meter repeats, they'll hit just row, let it count up to 300. Then they'll have a stopwatch and then, you know, do it again. Um, and that Lizzie you know, is absolutely disgusted at that. He, he hates it. <laughs> it's so, like we actually had a coach and he he's great that he did a 2K without us there one day. And he sent us a screen and it said like 2010 meters. <laughs> and he's like, I did my 2K. And I was like, no, you didn't. <laughs> so now you're going to set the monitor and do your 2K. That wasn't a 2K. You didn't set the monitor. It's so important because I could see so much more. Like if you set it to 2000, we could break it into, you know, 250 meter increments. We could break it into 500. So I could see each four. There's so much data available on that monitor and it offers so much to ignore it is disrespectful to the machine. And it's disrespectful to the sport of rowing. It's an Olympic sport. Don't just get on there and start. Would you just throw weight on the barbell and just start lifting it? Some people. No, you would warm up <laughs> properly. You respect it. They store these barbells and they treat them so nicely. They're wiping everything down. And then they just jump on the rower and start rowing. Like, set the <laughs> monitor. Respect it. Pay attention to your numbers. Get negative splits. You know, like, the, the people will also, they, we see this a lot in CrossFit, will say um, five by 500 meters, two-minute rest. If they set the monitor, which is a godsend, then they'll go really fast on the first 500 and then they die. So they'll hold, you know, a 157, 159, two minutes, 203, 205, 157. I'm like, this is shit. And they're like, this is really good for me. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not good for anybody because you just blindly went on there and started Pull and chain. You didn't pay any attention to the numbers. You didn't even try to get negative splits. Where are you going? So you, just, just uh, when you say negative splits, you mean they should be getting faster as you go into them. Yeah. So it's like letting the air out of the balloon slowly. And yeah. we know that this builds aerobic capacity in the best way rather than high, low, high, low, high, low. And there's times okay. for that. There, you know, like we'll Today. program workouts where it's like, you know, I want you to go really hard on the first 10 to 15 seconds of this assault bike workout. And it's 25 calories. So you get what you can in those 10 to 15 seconds. And then if, you know, the air lets out, it lets out because we're building that top end speed. But And we want to see how much air is in the tank. But other than that, I would say a good 85, 90% of the training, we're looking for negative splits because that is the most effective way to build aerobic capacity building top speed th- throughout the workout and mental endurance as well, which is a tremendous part of the game. Do you ever try and not use the word aerobic or the words aerobic capacity because it's like a, a competitor's uh, <laughs> brand? I mean, like it, like it is the name of their company and uh, they've got a great company. And I respect everybody in the industry that does similar stuff that we do because I'm just really passionate about the sport 
of yeah. rowing and the sport of CrossFit. And, um, and I love what they do. I think that they're great, but no, I'm not afraid to use the word because it's aerobic capacity. <laughs> yeah. it is someone, aerobic. someone comes into your gym and you're like, I want to improve my aerobic capacity. We don't say that in here. <laughs> <laughs> no, absolutely not. We I say you want, you want to, you want to increase your concept fitness. That's what we say. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. And then say, uh, when it comes to programming, um, someone, writing up programs for their athletes or, or who, who, uh, say like the example I mentioned, who's good at gymnastics programming and good at getting people proficient and that kind of stuff. What should people be looking to do or what are the common mistakes that you see with people when you look at how they program conditioning? Like, uh, do people, do you think people play it too safe? Do you think that that negative split thing is the thing that people are missing? Do you think people are missing, um, you know, like variation in how they, they approach, like say shorter work or variation, in how they approach longer work. Like, do you think it, it, like, is there something that's say commonly lacking or, you know, um, that most people, most coaches might be lacking if they're lacking. I mean, I, I don't know about the variation. I, I think it, it depends on the athlete. Like, um, you know, the program we give to underdogs weekly, um, they're doing a little bit of everything. So we're, I'm trying to keep them. So, you know, they're running once a week, depending on what they need work on. Everybody's a little different. So everybody might have a little bit different of a plan, but I, you know, I want them to be on these machines, you know, running, swimming, everything during the week. So, you know, when it does come up, it's not like, oh man, I haven't used the biker in three weeks, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that's, you know, a big thing that, you know, maybe some other coaches aren't doing because I know, you know, some CrossFit coaches will have like where they're putting them through a 2k program, you know, so they're really, you know, focusing just on the rowing for that block. Um, but you know, I don't know if they're, they're adding the other stuff in and, you know, if they're not, I feel like they should be, because like I said, I don't think you should go a week without touching every one of these machines, even the one you want to get rid of. I think <laughs> a lot of programs that are out there, um, other than underdogs, I don't think that they really put the time and attention into um, building time and mental focus on uh, the row or the bike, uh, the ski, like this aerobic capacity building aspect where they'll actually call it like grunt work or bitch work or boring stuff. And, and when you approach it that way, I see that being a flaw in a particular program mm. or in a coach's approach to building a well-rounded athlete, because I think you need to put as much attention, if not more into that base building and then stack the other stuff on top. I think it's the most important thing. Wow. Look at that. We've come full circle back to its position on the pyramid. That was, yeah. that was nicely done, Lizzie. Um, <laughs> we'll finish, we'll finish with a quick fire. Um, yeah. so I guess Lizzie, you can answer first and then that way you won't be like battling each other to answer, but we'll, <laughs> we'll go. You can both answer both. Um, so run or bike run. If I could, but I can't run right now. Run. Um, assault bike or echo bike? Assault. Assault. Uh, sprint or long distance? Sprint. Distance. <laughs> um, 
the best thing an average crossfitter can do to improve their conditioning more time on the rower be on my program <laughs> A- abc always be closing <laughs> um well listen thanks uh thanks again for coming on and giving so much of your time geez we're coming up on like two hours um uh i could easily do i'd say a full podcast on the rower a full on the skier and a full on the bike um and like there's just so much to cover uh so we'll, we'll have to get you back on another day um but thanks uh best of luck with your recovery from your uh weird foot stuff um and hopefully you get you get a chance to perform and, and make it back to, to madison if not this year um then as soon as possible and best of luck with everything with underdogs as well thank, thank you so much, much. Wow, that was in perfect unison. <laughs> <laughs>